Hey, welcome to the Learning Little Lessons podcast. This is where we fill you up on Jesus, help you get filled up on Jesus, so that you can pour out to your people. Today's podcast is a recording from Mom's Night in October, and this story is called Stewarding It Well When It's Not Easy. This speaker is Julie Rose from Indiana, and she shares a story of redemption. Um, some of the recording is going to be a little soft, but hopefully you'll be able to hear it all. Uh, enjoy! I'm going to talk through um, a calling that God... Okay, he um, made me aware of a um, little over three years ago. And that calling was being married to an unsaved man. When Gina, I don't know where Gina is, but when she was talking, I thought, you're just going to tell my whole thing. No. Um, but I had been married, I've been married for 28 years. And um, a little over three years ago, um, well, okay, hold on. Let me go back. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, my father um, is an evangel- was an evangelist. Um, he now has Alzheimer's and is not capable of doing anymore, but he was a preacher of the gospel. I grew up in an evangelist's home. I came to know Jesus personally at age 13, which for a preacher's kid in the circles we were in, that was even old. Um, but as I was growing up, I served in ministry every opportunity that I was given. I mean, when I was young, I was working in the nursery. I, I did all kinds of things. By the time I was getting married, I was very active in, um, I was teaching and I was serving in all kinds of ministries in the church that I was a member of. All my life, it had been very important to me that I only would marry a believer And when I first started dating my husband, I had actually known him. We carpooled together in kindergarten. So I had known him for a while, but there were quite a few years in between that we were not in contact. We re-met after high school, Um, but I knew he was from a Christian home. I knew he'd grown up in church, but it was still important for me to ask him about his salvation. And he he told me, and I was satisfied with his answer. But there was something also about my husband while we were dating that I didn't realize um, until after we were married. And that was, and by the way, we had a really quick, like when we started dating, I had known him, I knew his family, you know. Um, When we started dating, it was um, just a few months we got engaged and then a few months more and we got married. But I didn't know, I didn't realize how much of a peacekeeper he was, how much of a conflict-free kind of a person. Um, So he would, when we were um, dating, he wanted to make me think, you know, whatever he thought would be best. Um, But it didn't take us long. After um, we were married, it didn't take me long to realize that this was not the person that I had dated. Uh, this was a completely different person. Um, and I began to be concerned with what was really on, going on on the inside and whether he genuinely 
So, like a good wife, I nagged him about my concerns, and I nagged him, and I nagged him, and it worked. Okay, so it didn't really work, um, but it did an appearance. He made another profession, and it, this was just six months after we were married, and um, then was baptized in our church, testifying to that. Um, but then as the years went by, there were plenty of times that um, those concerns that I'd had in the beginning would come back into my heart. It regularly seemed like something was just off with him spiritually. Um, the verse about the natural man um, not understanding the things of God because they're spiritually discerned regularly came into my mind when we would have spiritual conversations. But I would talk myself into thinking that was just his personality, you know, that came off that way. But early in 2019, um, the day came when the truth of it was clearly laid out before me. And I don't really remember the conversation that we were having when this came out, but he wasn't angry. This was not a heated discussion. He was just sharing his heart. And he said that he knew that he did not really have a relationship with God, but he did not have any desire to do anything about it. Um, he believed everything that the Bible said, but he also understood that um, to, to become a true believer, to, to be a Christian, he needed to um, let Jesus his boss he had to turn himself over to Jesus and he wasn't willing he he wanted his own he wanted to be his own boss um well in spite of the fact that I had questioned it over the years you know plenty this still totally caught me off guard I felt like the world that I knew was over even though it had been the same world for the those 25 years up to that point, um, it just, it, it suddenly was all real to me. Um, it was never something that I saw myself. Um, hey, I had a sudden sense that I was a complete failure. I was a preacher's kid. And you know, the, the preacher's kids that ended up married to an unsafe person were the rebellious ones. And this was all just, um, it overwhelmed me right away from the beginning. Um, there were two specific things that I can remember from this time that God used to bring me face to face with seeing this as a calling, not just what I was stuck in. Um, and the first one, I had been crying to God about it. I cried a lot to God about it in those days, and it generally happened in the shower because it was a safe place my kids couldn't come in there and ask me what was going on because I, I didn't want them to, to to know about this um but I had been crying to God in the shower and a song that I had always loved just started running through my head and I actually put the chorus to that song in um in it's in the booklet um the song is called Lord Send Me Anywhere. And it was written um, by a man recently, more recently. 
It was written more recently, but it's yeah. based on words from the journal of David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s. And the chorus says, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties, save the tie that binds me to thy heart. Lord Jesus, my King, I consecrate my life, Lord, to thee. This song had actually meant a lot to me over the years, um, and I felt like I had been fully willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. But that day in the shower, as I, as the words were going through my mind, the first phrase, Lord, send me anywhere. As soon as I got to that point, I immediately, and I think I even said it, but not here. It was like, um, God was using that song to um, start to open my eyes to the fact that I wasn't willing to do anything that he asked. Because right now, what he was asking of me, I didn't want. Well, the, um, the second thing that had happened that really pointed me um, to the, the fact that this was a calling and not just um, a bad thing I was stuck with was once again happened while I was crying to God in the shower. And um, I remember I was literally in the midst of a hard sob and I said to God, why did you let me marry him? And as the words came out of my mouth that day, the answer was immediately in my mind. I heard in my heart that the reason he let me marry him was for this right now that I was going through. Because he had called me to be a unique ambassador for Christ to my husband. Um, allowing God to make his appeal to Bronson through me which is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Um, who else knew my husband like I did after 25 years of marriage? And who else had was aware that he had the desperate need that he did? Which brings me to something else about my husband um, that I haven't mentioned yet. In spite of the fact that I did struggle um, with those things, because of our close relationship, um, there had been, there, there had never been like spiritual fellowship. There was things like that, that I just had never really noticed. Um, but nobody else saw that side of him. In fact, the rest of the world, his world saw him as a godly man. And so much so that, um, I mean, my husband is adored by everyone who knows him. I mean, he just has this thing. I can't tell you how often I hear people singing my husband's praises. We, we can go to a funeral, and I will hear more about how wonderful my husband is than anything about the person who died. This is, he's, he's just always, he's a very gentle-natured person, and people just... Um, they love him, they adore him. And so what 
I now knew about him would be completely unbelievable to practically everybody else in his world. And so who would even know that there was a need for them to be watering the seed of the gospel in his life? I was in a very unique position for this calling. And I was at this point the only one who, um, at any point, because I was the only one married to him in this situation. But um, So this is where I began to accept the fact that this was a ministry that God had given me. Um, but I felt a loss at how to, how to do this. Um, even though I had been married to an insane man for 25 years, um, it still seemed brand new. It seemed like uncharted territory for me. And remember that nagging wife. I did not want to mess up again. I didn't want to do that again. Um, so I went searching for wisdom from experts, but not from the expert. Um, I bought a couple of books, um, ebooks actually, because I didn't want my kids to come across them. He had not shared that with them. I was keeping this information private. And um, so I bought a, a couple ebooks that were um, written by Christians on being married to an unsaved man. But they, they really were no help because the, the basic um, circumstances that these books were written to were people who um, had husbands who were like anti-God and husbands that were mean and all these things. And they just didn't fit. Um, Bronson didn't mind my relationship with God. He didn't care that I was really pursuing that with my kids, with our kids. And he was never cruel or unkind to me. Um, in fact, I remember at one point um, telling him that if I had to be married to an unsaved man, I was glad of him. We did it. We had, we had a very good time, some conversation about this. It was not something that we never talked about. But um, the more I read these books, the more I started realizing, okay, I'd gone to the wrong source. Not that reading books, books, you know, that was being talked about. That's, of course, not wrong, but that's where I was searching for the wisdom. And I had, you know, I think I felt like this was a special circumstance, so I needed a special solution. But my almighty, all-knowing God has all wisdom. And um, his word was more than able to give me all the answers that I needed and to sustain me through um, walking through that journey and, and learning how to deal with this calling. Um, but I didn't even go after the answers. God was giving them to me through my regular time in the word. He would point out things and I started um, writing things. They would they jump out from what to me would have been random places. And I started writing them on note cards. And then my um, my youngest gave me this little notebook and I was trying to think, what can I do? I started writing these passages down in my little notebook. And um, one of the first ones that I had written on a card and then I eventually it got written into here right at the beginning was from um, Exodus 14 when the Israelites are up against the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming and they were um, 
They had nowhere to go. They were in a panic. And Moses turns to them and says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yes, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Um, there was even a, there was another one that God pointed out that was also about an enemy coming to Israel. And let me just tell you, my husband was not my enemy. I did not see him as my enemy. Um, but these passages were getting me focused on the fact that yes, I did have something to do. I had to obey him. I had um, a work to do. But God was the one doing the work. I couldn't do that. There was nothing I could do to change my husband. Well, another thing through this, um, as I would go through just in my normal time with the Lord, I would come across passages that um, stood out as a phrase or something that would, like, gave me the perfect words that I wanted to say to pray for him. And I would write them down. Sometimes it was perfectly like in the context, it totally made sense. Sometimes a phrase would just jump out of, of context, but it put words to what my heart said. And so I would, um, I made a list and I have a list. I still have it at home that I pray for the unsaved, um, that, that I would pray specifically. And during this time, I learned to pray more fervently than I have ever, um, prayed before. And then this was already mentioned. Um, I think that was Gina too. Um, that I began thanking God and forgive me if it wasn't Gina, sorry. Um, but I began thanking God for the situation. And let me just tell you at the beginning of this, that was the last thing, you know, I was, I was, I did not want anything to do with it, but I began, began thanking him for it. Um, my relationship with God was growing in leaps and bounds. He was um, making me rely on him. Okay, yes. He had been unsaved the whole time, but I I hadn't I hadn't had this focus. I hadn't um, been, been relying on God through other things, even the way that I needed to. And God was using this. Um, he was using it to prune me. Um, but the thing is, I also failed plenty through this time. And sometimes I feared that when I failed, um, that would be the very thing that kept him from coming to the Lord. I mean, you know, if I was saved and I still was, you know, struggling with so much sin, then what, what, why would he need anything? In fact, his his gentle, sweet nature, um, you know, it, if it was a comparison, if God was weighing us on a scale, I would have way more sin on my account than he at least, you know, I mean, I, we don't know each other's hearts, but, um, and yet, once again, it wasn't about me. I couldn't change him anyway. And yes, I wanted to strive to represent Christ well, but God was the one that was responsible for the work. Um, but once 
at the point that I, once God had gotten me focused on him and on seeking him for wisdom, he did really push me. He probably pushed me longer because of my own pride, but he pushed me to um, enlist some friends. And um, I shared with um, a group, there's a few of them are here tonight that I first went to. And I remember feeling like, even as I said it, I felt kind of humiliated um, to let them know that my husband wasn't saved. But they, they didn't at all act that way. They loved me. They encouraged me. And they prayed me through it. Um, along with praying with, for Bronson, of course. Um, so um, now kind of back to the story part. That was me getting, getting myself right. Um, with where I needed to be with this calling. But um, through, through the year, through the few years that I was going through this, there was some times of confusion because he had that peacekeeping personality. And so he would try to please me by going back on what he said um, because he knew that it bothered me so much that he wasn't saved. So he was, oh, well, you know, I think I really did get saved, you know, back then. But eventually, he would come out with the truth again. Um, but over time, I started seeing greater intensity in his dislike for the things of God. Um, he seemed to be growing more and more hardened. <coughs> and as he did, I grew more and more discouraged. He still went to church faithfully. And you know, the peacekeeping thing. He, I don't think he wanted to disappoint me. I mean, in that, he, or even, he just didn't want conflict with me. But um, I also, even though I knew how much he didn't want to be there, I never suggested that he not go because I'm thinking, you know, he's going to hear God's word. Um, but then he started to become a different person on Sundays. I mean, from the time we would wake up um, till the time we went to bed on Sunday, he would just be just another person, he, just completely off for the day. And then it started to spread beyond Sundays. Um, and I was hoping this was a sign that the Holy Spirit was really working in him, but I saw nothing to back that up. I was... Um, I just, nothing gave me hope. So now fast forward to this year, we had planned um, in May of this year to go to the Teach Them Diligently convention in Pigeon Forge as a family vacation. So our plan was to head down there Sunday afternoon. But Saturday afternoon, um, Bronson started to feel a bit off physically. And it turned into what we thought at the time was a full-blown stomach flu. So we thought, okay, well, we'll wait. You know, we're thinking maybe 24-hour bug. So um, we didn't leave on Sunday. Uh, we were going to leave on Monday, but he still was feeling pretty badly. So um, 
that afternoon, he decided, let's just try to get down there. He says, if you can drive, I think I can make it. And um, then I can, you know, if I'm still down, I can just stay at the cabin. Um, so we left at four o'clock in the afternoon to drive a seven hour um, trip to Pigeon Forge. But he was so sick that there was no conversation um, on this trip. I'm driving and I also peace and quiet. He was really sick. So I didn't even listen to anything, which gave me this entire trip until towards the end when I was starting to struggle and I did end up putting some music on. But um, this, the vast majority of this trip, I had to spend with God. And um, I was so discouraged um, at that point. I remember telling God how worthless I felt like my prayer was. Um, I, I had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for him, you know, hours and hours and hours and nothing was changing and things were getting worse. And um, he was getting just more deeply hardened. Um, he, through this time, he had made it clear that he believed the Bible was true. He believed that he was a sinner and that Jesus had died to pay the penalty for his sin. He even had said at one point, we discussed hell and he believed fully that it was real and he understood that that was bound for, that that's where he was bound for, but he would not submit. He would not surrender. He somehow saw himself as independent. I think, you know, as believers, we recognize that we're not, and neither, no one is independent. We all have to answer to God. But he was so hardened, I was so discouraged, and I had this long, long talk with God over this. And my biggest fear, I knew that God was the God of the impossible. But I also, what I feared was that Bronson had, by that time, that he had fully and finally rejected God. Um, to have all that knowledge and to still reject it. Um, so we made it to the cabin um, really late, well, really more into the morning. And the next morning, he's he said, okay, so this is Tuesday morning. He starts to feel a little bit better, but it turned again and he, it got really intense that night. So this, what we thought was just going to be a quick 24 hour bug was continuing and it was, it was not going away. That was the night, the middle of the night. So into Wednesday morning, um, I woke up hearing him sick in the bathroom again, but I heard something else. He was talking. Now, I talk to myself, but I've never heard my husband talk to himself. He's just, that's not him. And the other weird thing was my nature would have normally been curiously trying to figure out what he was saying, what, you know, what's going on there, but I didn't. Um, I strangely went right back to sleep. So the next morning, he's, you know, he's still bad. We're discussing um, that we he probably needs to get it checked out. And in the conversation, you know, somewhere in our conversation, it turned to salvation. And I had, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I had made a comment 
something about his salvation. And he said to me, well, it's a good thing I had a good talk to God this morning. And I am like, you know, wanting, you know, to say, you know, tell me now, you know, but I always still if he would give me some more information. So he shared with me that in that early morning hour, he had said to God, you win. I'm tired. This is, I, I, I even verified this with him. I went through, what did you say again? What did you tell me? You said to God, he told God, you win. I'm tired of fighting you and I am ready to surrender. Um, and he had even later, he told me that before all this, like not long before it, he remembers thinking, wondering what God was going to have to do to, to get him to, to turn. Um, well, as I told you, my husband, very gentle, kind-natured person, and you would think that, whew, I just did something. Um, you would think that someone like that, before they're saved, you might not see that much of a change because they they seem to be a Christian before. Um, and at first, honestly, I struggled to, I thought, was this real? Because of all those times before when it, he had said, oh, you know, but then I thought of hearing him talking. And even the fact that I went back to sleep and I thought God gave me the opportunity to hear, there, there was no reason for him to do that for my sake because he thought I was sleeping. And yet, so God let me hear that so that I could have a little more confidence, but it was also their private conversation. So God just let me go back to sleep so that I wouldn't hear it. Um, but honestly, it did not take me long to see a completely new person. And he still, you know, most people, when he's told them, they're shocked um, because they would have never thought that he wasn't. But um, I'm telling you, that spiritual fellowship, all those years, I, I, never, I never knew what that was like with him. And, and that was one thing that had always made me kind of, I thought, you know, can have all these, you just have this natural fellowship. And I had never had that with him. And after 25, no, that was this year, after 28 years of marriage, <laughs> it was actually shortly before our 28th anniversary, um, I was able to experience that for the first time. And um, by the way, if you were wondering, um, his appendix had ruptured that's what was going on he ended up in the hospital for a week and a half so our vacation that was supposed to you know ended up a two-week vacation which really was not much of a vacation but it was amazing how god you know provided for us during that time and because we stayed in pigeon forge i mean he was in the hospital <coughs> there and um a week and a half but if i could sum up everything that, that God really did for me in this situation. Um, everything that I learned through this calling that he gave me, um, it would be that verse that I put in there, and that's Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Because when the Lord wasn't my focus, um, I was shaken. I had, you know, I, there was stress and emotions and discouragement, 
and those kind of things could overtake me. But when I would have the Lord before me, when I was keeping him before me, um, his strength would sustain me and his, his overwhelming grace. And you know that the peace that passes all understanding um, would be um, what I would have when he was there. Uh, when I had, when I let him be there, um, but my situation is certainly not the worst thing that I might ever go through. Um, and you know, many of you might feel like, well, this is nothing compared to what I've been through, or maybe something that you're going through right now. But um, I think back to the the passage in Exodus. And God was the one doing the work. God was the one that was going to part the Red Sea. They had to do what he said. Even in that passage, he told Moses exactly what to do. Moses had to do his thing, and the people had to just um, stand firm. And um, he is the one doing the work. He's the God of the impossible. And when we keep him before us, we can endure, but not just endure, endure with joy. And I failed that a lot too. Sometimes I was enduring, but I would end up enduring with worry, fear, discouragement. But just a few verses after um, that verse in Psalms, um, it says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That the verse that I have written had said, I set the Lord always before me, okay? So we're in his presence. You know, when, when I've set him before me and he's at my right hand, I'm in his presence. And that's where there's fullness of joy. Um, so whatever hard calling I know that, that you may be going through or that you will go through or that I might go through still in the future, um, the first thing is I need to be willing to obey which um, at first I just was fighting. But then the rest is um, that he has that fullness of joy even in the midst of it. And um, as we keep him before us through our journey, he, he can bring joy even in the hardest of things. That's all I have to tell you. <laughs>